If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. And look there with me, beginning in verse 26. God's only holy book declares there in verse 26. As they were eating, our Lord Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup also and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Amen. Now, in our text, we have here the Lord Jesus Christ instituting this memorial supper to his church. This is what we call the Lord's Supper. In our text, we see here our Lord Jesus and his 12 disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover feast. Now, this was a very special evening. Indeed, an evening that was determined of God. And it was a special evening because it was the last time our Lord would see his disciples before he suffered for sin, before he was crucified. And so we see here our Lord conveying to us the importance of this night. In Luke chapter 22, he said, With desire, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Beloved, our Lord Jesus desired to eat this Passover with these chosen ones, these, these ones you love, because this was to be the last Passover before he would fulfill it by suffering as the Lamb of God. So we see the Lord's desire. Indeed, his anticipation to fulfill the law and ceremony, which is a picture of his finished work of salvation for us. You see, this feast of Passover that they were celebrating, it was intended to remind the Jews of their deliverance from Egypt. When they were to choose out a lamb without spot or blemish, which truly could only be pictured by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the spotless lamb of God, the well-pleasing, sinless son of God. You see, this lamb was to picture him coming in the flesh and representing his elect people who are pictured by the Israelites. And they were to kill that lamb and drain his blood from his body. And they were to take that blood and strike it, pour it out onto the two side posts and the upper door posts of the houses. And the Lord God Almighty tells us, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that night the Lord God came to the land of Egypt and every door that had the blood on it, he passed over them. But every door that had not the blood of the lamb, the first man and beast were killed by God that night. You see, beloved, this most assuredly pictures what the Lord Jesus was to come and do on behalf of his people. You see, this whole thing of the Passover, God intended it to be a picture to show you who Christ is. Indeed, to show you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was to bear the transgressions and iniquity of his people, that Jesus Christ was appointed of God to suffer and bleed for the sins of his elect. 
And beloved, as that blood was applied to the lintel of the two side posts of the door, you see, that's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does to us. The Holy Spirit of God applies the blood to the posts of our heart. And therefore, we who are in Christ have a refuge from the justice of God. You see, the justice of God, as it passed through Egypt, will pass over all his creatures. And everyone who is in Christ, he will pass over. And beloved, he will pass over us because our sin debt has already been paid. I'm so glad God is just, aren't you? I'm glad he's just. He's not like you and me. You see, we wink at sin. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that we wink at sin? Well, we wink at somebody's transgression against us. You see, when someone sins against us, we keep on remembering it. We bring it to mind again and again. But beloved God, who has paid for our sins through the precious blood of his darling son, will never be remembered again. He tells us not once, but two times. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And again, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Beloved, our sins are put away. They will never be brought back upon us again. In fact, they will never be remembered again. When his blood is applied to our hearts by the grace of God, which is the regeneration of the spirit from the dead, and therefore Jesus seeing and knowing that the law was coming to a close, all these pictures, types and shadows of the Old Testament were to be done away with forever by his one offering for sin. And beloved, we just don't believe that. <laughs> we know that. In Romans 10, it says, Therefore, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so here we see our Lord is eating the last Passover. He's eating the last Passover meal with his disciples. And knowing that this Passover will be no more, in love for his church, the Lord institutes an ordinance. And New Testament ordinance, and it's called the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table. Now, he gives us this new ordinance. This, and hear me, this is not a Passover meal that the Lord is instituting here. Rather, this is the new ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to partake of this morning. So bear that in mind, that what we will be doing today is not another Passover. This is not a continuation of the Passover. This is a whole new ordinance. Now, the Passover was a bloody ordinance as it required a sacrifice. But this table before us requires no sacrifice. And why is that? Well, because the sacrifice has already been made, beloved. You see, it doesn't require us to go out and kill anything. And why is that? Because, beloved, the lamb has already been slain. His blood has covered our sins. And so there's no need for another sacrifice. And once again, this shows us that the law is not just the Ten Commandments. You see, Scripture tells us about the Passover feast, that if anyone didn't honor the Passover feasts, they were breaking the law of God. And so this shows us that the law is not just the Ten Commandments, but also includes all of the feasts and sacrifices. And to fail to obey in any measure, including thought and motive, resulted in being guilty of breaking the whole law. Paul writes in Galatians 3, For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So we see how that the ordinance of the Lord's table is not, I repeat, not an extension of the Passover. You see, just as the light of the stars are inferior to the light of the sun, as they are different lights and not the same, likewise, the Passover is inferior to the picture we have here set before us in the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. The Passover is inferior. And why is that? Because they had to do it over and over again. They had to do it. It was the law. But, beloved, this supper is a gracious supper. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, some of our brethren can't be with us this morning. There's a number of us that are not present. They can't observe this table with us, this supper together this morning with us. And so just because they can't be here doesn't mean they're breaking the law by not being here and eating this memorial supper. You see, they're not breaking any law. And so this supper is way more superior to that old ordinance of the Passover. The Passover was an ordinance of the law, but the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of grace. The Passover pictured a sacrifice that was to be made, and the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice that has already been made. It pictures the Son of God giving His life a ransom for His many people. Indeed, a sacrifice that God has already accepted forever. Now consider the Lord's love for His disciples and His church by instituting the supper, knowing that there would be great confusion, knowing that there would be a transitional period, because just consider how that they had all their lives been attending this Passover. That all their lives they had been attending this Passover feast, and now that was, that, that was gone, they would be confused as to what to do. And so the Lord gave them this to settle their hearts, indeed to settle our hearts and to give us comfort and peace, not confusion, not trouble. He left this for them and for us. He left a very simple ordinance. Now, not a commandment in order to obtain righteousness, but rather an ordinance to remind us that righteousness has already been obtained. That's what the supper does, beloved. It reminds us that righteousness has already been accomplished. This morning, as we gather to worship God by hearing the word, we'll also be reminded by the supper of the successful atonement of Jesus Christ. I want everyone in this auditorium to hear me when I say successful. You know what separates the true Christ from every false Christ? Success. <laughs> success. Our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is a sovereign, successful Savior. And this supper proves it, and it gives us comfort to know how He was successful. As one pastor friend of mine puts it, Beloved, our Lord didn't make an attemptment. Rather, He made an atonement. Beloved, our warfare is accomplished. Our iniquity is pardoned. Indeed, we have received of the Lord's hand double for all our sins. I love that word accomplished, don't you? The Lord Jesus Christ tells us what the Father's will is. He tells us ever so plainly. He says, this is the Father's will. And this is in John chapter 6, verse 39. This is the Father's will, He who sent me, that of all that He has given me in the covenant of grace to save, I shall lose nothing. What does that tell us ever so plainly? <laughs> He's going to save all of His precious sheep. Not one of His sheep will perish. 
He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Do you know why I'm here behind this pulpit? Why why do I want to preach? It's only because I want to preach to his sheep. (laughs) I can't see who they are, but I know this. I'm only preaching to God's sheep. I'm not interested in preaching to goats. I'm not interested in preaching to reprobate. I'm not interested in preaching to everyone. I'm only interested in preaching to his sheep. (laughs) And beloved, if you hear him, God's done something for you. God's done something for you if you can hear his voice. He's not a car salesman. He's not trying to make a deal with you. He did not say, I offer them eternal life if they let me give it to them. No, he tells us plainly, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. What comfort that is for a sinner like me and a sinner like you to hear that our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is a sovereign, successful Savior. There is no one in hell right now for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died. There is not a world of people in hell right now for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died. All of his people will be in glory. This is his glory, beloved. This is why the Father is well pleased in him. He says, this is my Father's Son. Or or he, he tells us plainly, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And that's why I'm behind this pulpit. I'm praying everyone in this auditorium is hearing him. I'm not here behind this pulpit to argue the finer points of this theology versus that theology. I'm preaching my salvation to you. And I pray for you who are in that pew, every one of you, that this is your salvation, all of your salvation, Christ and him crucified. It's such a good gospel, is it not? (laughs) Not only are we saved from our sins, we're saved from all our filthy rag righteousness. You see, if you could pick your best work, if you could edit your life and choose this one work, go ahead, think about that for a moment. The very best thing you've ever done in your whole life. And you could lay that before the thrice holy God and say, accept me based on that one good work I did. You will hear the same thing Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It's a filthy rag. Filthy rag. And by God's grace... We're not ignorant anymore. (laughs) We're not ignorant anymore. We're not going about to establish a righteousness of our own to try and and gain God's favor, or as the expression goes, curry God's favor. No. It's by grace we are saved. By grace we are saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I love saying that over and over again, don't you? Our, Our Savior is a sovereign, successful Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished what the angel declared to Joseph. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in verse 26, Matthew 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He died for a particular people. He didn't say, which is shed for everyone. Notice that word there. 
many. Isn't that wonderful to know? He didn't shed it for a few. Not the frozen chosen, as they say. No, for many. His elect, his chosen people in this world. Now notice this ordinance contains two elements. Just, just two things. Bread and wine. Now consider how these disciples, after the Lord Jesus was taken from them, after he was ascended to glory, consider how they observed this table. I mean, every time they ate the supper, what do you think they were thinking? They were thinking and remembering of the last time they ate this supper with him. It's easy to bring to mind Peter and John talking with one another, saying, remember we ate at the table with the master? Remember that last time when the Lord showed us how to do this, when he instituted this supper? And with great joy, they anticipated remembering him every time the supper was given. And so those precious memories the disciples had of their Lord would flood to their souls, both by sight and by smell. I mean, you just think of the bread and the wine and the smell of that would cause them to remember him as he instituted this memorial supper. And beloved, that's what this is. This is a memorial service. And these two elements are used to remember him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Beloved, this is to unify us. A very simple gospel message right here. A very simple gospel picture portrayed by the bread and the wine. I love that, don't you? I mean, the law is complicated. It's just like a manual nobody wants to read. You've got to make an animal sacrifice, and then you've got to do this and that. It has to be a perfect animal, and it has to be done right. Remember those two priests that brought the wrong spices? They brought the wrong incense, and God killed them. Those sons of Aaron, those two priests, put the wrong incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not, and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. But the Lord's Supper is nothing like that, beloved. Now sadly, this thing that is meant to unify us and bring us together, twisted of men, has caused great division. You see, this has caused great division because men pervert what the Lord instituted. You see, they pervert it and it becomes twisted and wicked. Because of false preachers who preach Satan's gospel of works and free will religion. And so this simple table has been made corrupt by evil legalists who would complicate it. This morning I want to present this supper to you as simply as it was presented by our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we do this in remembrance of him. And we do it in accordance as he did it, simply. We don't add anything to it. And we don't take anything from it. Therefore, let us seek by his grace to observe the Lord's table as it was originally established and not pollute it, but rather observe it as the Lord intended to unify us, to bring us together in Christ. So first of all, let's look at the, the elements. We see here how he took the bread and he took that cup of wine and they were drinking that they were drinking at the Passover. And then we're going to look at the purpose of the supper and then the presentation of it. Now, first the elements, bread. Now, the bread required for Passover was not just any bread. Rather, it was unleavened bread. And we can read about that in Exodus 12. He said you were to bring unleavened bread. You see, the law required that the Jews were to bring unleavened bread and to eat it for seven days. That was the Passover. They were going to observe, but, but and that required seven days. But we're going to observe the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. But that Passover was a week long. 
And during that week, they had to eat unleavened bread, bread that didn't have any yeast in it. Just as there's no yeast in the bread, we eat in observing the Lord's table before us this morning. Our Lord Jesus said early in this ministry to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So what is leaven? What does the bread we use? Why does it have to have uh, no yeast in it? Why does it have to be unleavened bread? Why did our Lord choose that? Well, because, beloved, it's the best picture of our sinless Lord Jesus Christ. You see, leaven is a picture of sin. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You put a little yeast in bread and it rises up, and that's what sin is. A little sin destroys the whole thing. So leaven is a picture of sin. And if this is to be a picture of the Lord's body, as the Lord himself says, take, eat, this is my body, so that it must be unleavened bread if we're to picture the Lord's body because he was without sin. Our Lord Jesus himself declares the importance of this picture. This is a picture of his body. Now, I want to take a moment to expose uh, a heresy. Uh, now, most of you have heard of the Roman Catholic Mass. Well, the Mass is nothing more than an idolatrous heresy. It doesn't matter if you're Lutheran or Catholic, whatever denomination it is. If you believe that this bread and this wine literally, magically becomes the real flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, that, my friend, is absolute heresy. Just pure idolatry. To believe that the bread turns into the literal body of Christ, to believe that the wine turns into the literal blood of the Lord, it's just out and out idolatrous heresy. And understand, this is no mere error. For they believe that every time this supper is observed, they actually think and believe that Jesus Christ is re-crucified. Every time they observe the Mass... They believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is re-crucified. And they're saying by that that his body is broken again and again and again. And that, he shed his, and, and, and that his blood is shed again and again and again. And that's blasphemy, beloved. Just out and out satanic mockery to have the body and blood of Christ crucified afresh every time they offer the Mass. The Apostle Paul's argument for the sacrifices of the law being put away was this. And as you read the book of Hebrews, the word once is mentioned 11 times. Once. <laughs> once. Now that's a very important word because the argument the Apostle sets forth is how that in the law, they continually offered sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But Jesus once offered himself. How many times? Once. You see, one time Jesus offered himself, and that's it. And my friend, this morning, Jesus is not offering himself again in this ordinance. Oh no, we're remembering how we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, those who would have others to believe that our Lord is crucified afresh daily in the Mass, well, they count his blood as nothing but a common thing to be shed over and over and over again. In other words, what they're saying by that is this, that the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ was not enough to put away our sins. And they're saying that he must be crucified again and again and again. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6, if you would. Now, what our Lord says in that chapter, John chapter 6, 
is simple and plain to understand. But there are some who refuse to understand it. There are some who refuse to believe it. John chapter 6, verse 48. Our Lord says, I am that bread of life. Now, are we to understand that Jesus was confessing himself to be bread? Is that what he was confessing? That he was a literal loaf of bread? When he said, I am the bread of life? Well, of course not. That would be absurd. He wasn't actual bread. It was a picture of what he had come to do. He said, I am the bread of life. I mean, it would be foolish to think that the Lord was literally a piece of bread, would it not? He says in verse 49, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man might, may, may eat of thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He said unto them, If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have life. And what happened? Look what the Jews did. Verse 52. The Jews argued. They strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What did they think he was talking about? Well, they understood him to be literal, that he was actually going to cut off pieces of his flesh and give it to them to eat. How foolish and dark was their understanding. We know that's foolish because our Lord tells us plainly that the words he speaks are spirit. Our Lord says in verse 61, Doth this offend you? Verse 62, What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Beloved, there are spiritual, these are spiritual representations our Lord is teaching us. These are spiritual representations of the gospel. And, and that's what he's telling them. Our Lord Jesus is not saying, I'm bread. He's saying that bread is a picture of himself to illustrate that he is the source of all life, indeed eternal life. How that the manna that fell from heaven was not Christ, but was a picture, a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that how that the word of God is full of such language. For example, in Genesis chapter 40, when Pharaoh's cupbearer had that dream and he saw three branches in his dream, and what did Joseph tell him? He said, these three branches are three days. Now, he is telling us that the branches, well, it's, it's clear by what we read there that that's illustrative. That's a picture. And, of course, he's not telling us the branches on a tree are days of the week. That's not it. That would be absurd. Or he's telling us they represent three days. When Pharaoh had that dream, he saw seven cows. And Joseph said the seven good kinds, or cows, are seven years. Now, am I going to go around counting cows, or do I count years? You see, they're not the same. Nevertheless, it's a representation. Our Lord Jesus said in one of his parables, the field is the world. Now, am I to take it literally that the field he was standing in is the world? Well, of course not. Rather, it's a picture of the world. In Revelation 1 and verse 20, when the Lord Jesus walked among the candlesticks, 
he said the candlesticks are the churches. Does that mean that a church is a candlestick? Does that mean that every time we meet together that we turn into candlesticks? Of course not. Rather, that's just a representation of us. And so when the Lord Jesus says in our text in Matthew 26, verse 26, take, eat, this is my body, he's not saying that bread turned him into his body. How is that made so very clear in this portion? Well, because, my friend, he was standing there in his body. He was already present in the body. He didn't need that bread to turn into his body. He said, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He's saying the wine is a representation of my blood. Another use of this language is when the Lord Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Now, beloved, when you go to heaven, do you expect to see a lamb there on the throne? When Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, do you expect to see a lion to be sitting on that throne? Of course not. My friend, do you see how foolish this makes the idea that the bread and wine literally become the body and blood of Christ? Do you see how foolish their argument is? My friend, my Lord is the bread of life, but I'm not expecting to see a loaf of bread in heaven. I'm not expecting to see a lion on the throne, nor for that matter an actual lamb. Rather, beloved, by God's undeserved grace, I'm expecting to see him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What superstitious nonsense it is to teach that these elements turn into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, they do not turn into the body and blood of Christ by some magical chanting, bowing, or ceremonial gestures. That doesn't turn it into the actual body and blood of Christ. It's just a bunch of hocus-pocus hogwash. You see, what they've done is this. They've taken a simple ordinance, a simple ordinance of bread and wine to remember the Lord, and they've turned it into a religious show. That's what man does with God's Word. They take the simple Word of God and they twist it and manipulate it into some legalistic binding law. And so they take the Lord's Supper and mix it up with the Passover. This whole false doctrine is founded on the lie that the body and blood of Christ are in these elements. Yet when our Lord Jesus instituted this table, when, which men have perverted by their carnal, superstitious nonsense, he was sure to use these simple elements as pictures for us, his people, to remember him. The unleavened bread pictured his sinless humanity. So today, as you hold this bread in your hand, what you should call to your remembrance, beloved, is his sinless perfection. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. See how simple it is? When we hold the bread, we call to remembrance his sinless perfection. When you hold the bread, remember how sinless he was, and by his own hand, by his own obedience, how he obtained for us a perfect righteousness acceptable to the Father. Indeed, by his obedience, he obtained eternal redemption for us. That's what you should remember when you hold that bread, beloved. You should remember his sinless perfection, how that he obtained righteous for us, indeed, indeed true holiness. You see, he lived the life for us that we could never live. Now, as I eat this with you today, I'm not made righteous by eating it, Rather, I eat it because this sinful man 
before you <laughs> is already righteous. <laughs> because he has already provided my righteousness, he established for me in his flesh and in his blood. A real man lived the life that I could not on my behalf to please my heavenly father. And remember what King Agrippa said to Paul? How many of you remember that account in Acts? Paul said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. <laughs> and Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. <laughs> You can hear our brother Paul's desire, can you not? <laughs> I want you to believe what I believe. Christ is all. Christ is all my salvation. Christ is all my righteousness. He's all my justification. He's all my sanctification. <laughs> I'm saved to the uttermost, King Agrippa. I want you to be saved to the uttermost. I want you to be such as I am. And that's what I say to you, beloved. And anyone who's here, who may be hearing this for the first time, that the Lord Jesus Christ is a sovereign, successful Savior, that's what I want for you too. <laughs> I want you to have a perfect righteousness. Indeed, the very righteousness of God, imputed and imparted by God's undeserved grace. That's what I have. I have a perfect righteousness. The very righteousness of God, imputed and imparted to me by faith, the gift of God. And beloved, as we break this bread, even as the body of Christ was broken, we see it's broken bread to picture how his body was broken for us. And as that veil separated, you think of that veil in the temple, how it separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The scripture says that veil pictured his flesh and it was torn, broken, ripped from top to bottom and made the way into the most holy, accessible to a vile sinner like you and a vile sinner like me. So when you take this bread into your hand, you should remember how the Lord made it possible. How that he made it so that you should be accepted in the presence of God this morning. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And heard of him through our mediator. Beloved, as we eat this broken bread and see by faith that his body was broken for us. And now it has been given freely to us, and we eat it freely. The wine is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. And as his body was broken, what pours out of a broken body? What pours out of a broken body? I mean, if you cut yourself, you bleed, do you not? Well, when his body was broken out, broken, out poured his precious blood. And the blood that poured out of his broken body, he tells us in verse 28, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So, beloved, as you hold this cup and you look into the wine, you can remember that his blood was shed to put away our sins forever. That's what we remember when we take these things. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Therefore, Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, the new covenant, not of works, but the eternal covenant of grace. The Son of God was made flesh so that he should himself be offered unto God. How many times? How many? <laughs> we 
once. Once. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. And look there with me in verse 27. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, verse 27, needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. How many times? Once. Beloved, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, put away the sins of his people once and for all when he offered up himself. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, the New Covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the First Testament, they were which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Now look at verse 26. This is speaking of that death. Hebrews 9, verse 26. For then he must, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, in the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. How many times? Once, beloved. Once. And so as you look at these two elements, these two simple things, the unleavened bread and the wine, they picture the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, on to the purpose of the supper. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul gives us the purpose of this supper simply in verse 23. He writes, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, if Jesus' body and blood were literally present with us, the carnal bread and the carnal wine, we would have no need to remember him. I mean, why would we have need of remembering him if he was present? For example, my wife is here. I don't need to remember her, do I? She's here. She's present. So why would I need to remember her? And so if he were here, then why do we have need to remember him? If he was bodily present with us, why do we have need to remember him? But we do have need because he's not here bodily. Uh, he is bodily in heaven. He is seated on the throne of God. And so the purpose of this is to remember him. Now, Jesus truly is in the midst of us by his Holy Spirit. But yet his body, we know, is seated on the throne of God. And so this supper is no sacrifice. Rather, beloved, it is a memorial service. As I've said, Jesus offered himself once for sin... And after offering himself for our sins, after he purged us of our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, beloved, we ought not to use the word sacrament. Now, some of you might be familiar with this word sacrament. Uh, I've used this word before. Um, and the reason why we don't want to use it, beloved, is because a sacrament has to do with a sacrifice. And, beloved, this is not a sacrifice. The sacrifice has already been made. This table is a table of remembrance. 
It is to put forth before us a public display of the believer's identification with Christ. Every believer this morning will publicly display their identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ, identifying with his precious blood that washes us truly and completely of all of our sins and identifying publicly with his perfect righteousness. We have no confidence in any creature righteousness. We have no confidence in the flesh. All our confidence is in the Son of God who saves us, not almost, (laughs) he saves us to the uttermost. And so this memorial supper, we declare that we are sinners by nature and by choice and in need of his broken body and precious blood and need of his perfect righteousness. This ordinance is like baptism in that it cannot save you. And so, beloved, this morning as you eat this, you know this is not going to save you. I trust you know that already and that by partaking of it, you do so because you are you're already saved. You're already saved. You see, this is not going to do anything for you. Eating this bread and drinking this wine, it's not going to save you. Rather, the purpose of this supper is only for saved sinners. And it's only for us to remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And also remember this. When you eat this bread and drink this wine, what happens to the bread and the wine? Well, they become a part of you, do they not? They're put in union with you. They're nourishing to your body and they give us joy. Isn't that a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us? We are in union with the Son of the living God. His body and blood are in union with us. And was that not his prayer? He said, Father, I will. I will that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Beloved, we're one with him. So that's what this picture is. As you eat and drink this, as you eat the bread and drink the wine, you need to remember that you're in union with the Son of God. You're made one with Him. Who shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? I tell you, beloved, nothing and no one, nothing and no one, not in time or eternity, not in heaven or in hell, not men or demons, no one can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And beloved, not even my own sinful will will separate me from him. Not even my own sin will separate me from him. And turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. God give you grace to believe what I'm going to read to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. It says there, If we believe not... If we have doubts, and yea, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Even in our unbelief, beloved, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You see that? He cannot deny himself. You see, for him to deny you, beloved, well, he would have to deny himself. And as you eat this bread and drink this wine, that's what you should be thinking about this morning. How our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, shall not fail. Whatsoever he doeth prospers. His Father sent him into this world to save sinners. Some of you are familiar with this verse. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And it says there, a true and faithful saying. 
worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you're a sinner here this morning, rejoice. (laughs) He came to save you. Most assuredly, He came to save you. If God has loved you and washed you in the blood of His Son and dressed you in His righteousness, He'll make it known to you that you are sin from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You won't be a hypocritical person. You know, there's so many religious people in Texas. You ask them, are you a sinner? You know what they say? Yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. Are you an evil sinner? Well, no, no, no. I'm not an evil sinner. My neighbor's pretty evil, but I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking when God loves you and puts you into the light and countenance of his well-pleasing son and you see that you fall short of the glorious righteousness of the son of God and you must be saved by him alone. If God's done that for you, partake of this supper this morning. Partake of this supper. Beloved, you should be remembering how that when God sees you, that he sees you as he sees his own son. We are his body and he's our head. And beloved, nothing can separate us from him. Now lastly, I want to talk about who this supper is for. My friend, this supper is only for believers, only for those who have been called by the Holy Spirit to life and faith. It is for the elect, the redeemed, and the called. Well, Brother Joseph, may I partake of this table? You may if you are one of the elect. You may if you've been redeemed by the blood of God, indeed the blood of Christ. You may if you've been called by the Holy Spirit. I know people who've confessed their sins and wept over their sins, but have not as yet believed on the Son of God. My friend, weeping over your sins, confessing your sins, even repenting of your sins will not do you any good. Salvation comes to sinners who are cast down before the Lord Jesus Christ, those sinners that worship him as their Lord and God, those whose only hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, Jesus Christ is not a choice to me. It's not a choice. I must have him. My only hope, in fact, is that I'm his sheep. Why do I say that? Because he tells us ever so plainly, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And so by God's grace... I lay hold on him as all my hope, all my righteousness, as all my justification and all my sanctification, indeed as all of my salvation. If that's your case, this table of remembrance is for you. He instituted this supper for you who believe. You see, it's not for me to pick out who's to take it and who's not. I've known many places that do that and they try to protect this table. They, They guard it. And so what they do is they go about to try and make rules about what they're going to do about this table. They're going to have a bunch of elders watching everyone to see who can partake and who can't partake of it. This is not your table. This is not my table. This is not this church's table. This is the Lord's table. No one's guarding this table. This table is for believers to eat and remember, to drink and remember, 
It's a message in of itself. My friend, if the blood is applied to your heart, then you may eat and drink. But I warn you, if you do not believe, should you not, if you do not believe and you should partake of this supper, it will only add to your condemnation. If you stand before God and you have not believed on Christ, this is just another one of your many sins that will be added to you. And he'll say in judgment, you had the picture. Didn't the preacher show you what this was? Didn't he warn you and tell you this is only for believers? And you yet ate it and still would not believe. You see, my friend, that would only add to your condemnation. But for you, beloved, but for you, beloved, believing sinner, lay hold on him and know this supper is for us to remember him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It's simple. The unleavened bread is a picture of his sinless body, his righteousness. And the wine is a picture of his precious blood, his successful atonement. And beloved, as we eat and drink, we see the comforting picture that as the bread and wine comes into union with us, we see our oneness with Christ. And you know what they did after that? We saw it. We've read it already. We'll read it again. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. We see there that they sang a hymn. They rejoiced. And that's what this is for. It's for your joy. It's for your comfort. For you who are complete in Christ. If you have uh, a pencil with you and you're making notes, just record this reference down and you can look it up later. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Beloved, as you're remembering our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, remember and never never forget it. <laughs> never forget it. As he is, so are we in this world. As the Lord Jesus Christ is right now, without sin, without spot, without blemish, holy and completely accepted of the Father, so are we right now, beloved. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and I'll ask Brother Gary and Brother Tyler to come up in a moment. Colossians chapter 2. God, I give you grace to read these words, but not just to read them, to believe them. Colossians chapter 2. I'll begin reading. In verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Amen.